Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss progress being made in cloud computing programs within the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security. With me on today's show are Frank Kineski, Chief Technology Officer with U.S. Air Force, Travis Medvin, Program Manager, PMW 270, Navy Commercial Cloud Services. Dr. Edward Mays, Executive Director for the Enterprise Data Management and Engineering Director at U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Nicholas Spies, Chief Federal Technologist, Snowflake. Adam Prem, Advisory Solution Consultant at ServiceNow. And Andrew Welschel, Principal Solutions Engineer at Okta. Well, we've really shifted this conversation about cloud computing uh, from, you know, sort of getting there and all the techniques we're using to get there to really what we're doing now that we are there. And, uh, and, and that's really refreshing in regards to the functionality and capability that's available in this type of an environment. Uh, Frank, you sort of uh, shot out as a cannon over there at the Air Force with Kessel Run and a whole bunch of other activities. Give us the state of status of what's going on over there at, uh, at the Air Force regarding cloud computing. Okay, th thanks, Luke. The, uh, we're doing lots of things. I mean, first of all, let's talk about the applications. Kessel Run was just a start, you know, of how we were doing DevSecOps, but now we have 15 uh, actual software factories existing within the Air Force in such a way that we can actually do this much quicker. So we're going down a path of how fast can you actually generate software for this. And according with that, you want to make sure that you can get your ATO. So we've had fast track ATO system available so that you can get your ATO faster than normal. We are actually also doing continuous monitoring capability, continuous ATOs. So as we've gone further and further along in the process, we've actually developed a way of getting to the cloud faster because I think we all realize we're going to go to the cloud. The question is how fast can I get there and how fast can I make a production level application work? Also besides that, we have Platform One. Platform One is basically a system of tool sets that have been established to actually speed your way to the actual development of the software and everything else associated with it. And then we have, of course, data. We have our data system, our data thing called Vault, which is basically our data center capabilities. And we're using a lot of that to actually do, uh, you know, data analytics and everything else. And then we get into the AI ML work. You know, we already have that going right now. We have various processes. We have various, uh, in fact, we have an agreement with MIT to actually do some work in the AI arena. So we're doing various applications and prototypes right now. And like, you know, we also have a piece of quantum in there too that we're doing some quantum work that's associated with AI for weather. So as we progress farther and farther along the path here, we actually are using cloud in a very different way than just throwing some applications out there that are web servers and things. We're actually doing some real work against mission right now. Sure, no longer the lift and shift, you're really starting to move up the value chain and take advantage of that massive right. capability that's out there to do some really important work. Travis, how about over at Navy? I, I, I can't help but uh, see the uh, commercial cloud services in your title there. I thought that was interesting. Give us a state of play at uh, the Navy in regards to cloud computing. Uh, thanks, Luke. I think uh, the big things that we've been uh, getting after is, you know, we, we learned a lot of lessons from Kessel Run and we started down our, our own CI/CD uh, DevSecOps. So currently we have three uh, 
pipelines and productions that we're looking at supporting, uh, how those go into platforms. I think the big thing that we've learned over the first couple of years of, of trying to do the lift and shift that you talked about was going into more of a, an integrated solution and trying to skate where the puck is. So when we're trying to land different things such as aisle six and what we're doing with the mission owners out on ships and the embarkables with the Marine Corps, uh, it's really important that we look at that integration aspect. So some of the efforts that we're doing in the aisle six arena, some of the efforts that we're doing with, with DDIL and, and uh, our identity strategy has really been uh, pushing us forward and in, in setting that, that groundwork for how we're going to go into the DevSecOps arena. So it's not really this, this march to a shiny object that is DevSecOps and pushing applications, but rather an integrated solution that gets us to the end state where these applications could be supported at the forward deployed edge and support Foxhole to flagpole, uh, as well as the embarkables on Navy ships. Right, really laying those tracks down so that you can, you can drop that capability in there and just start, uh, you know, helping that uh, that sailor, that airman, the warfighter, uh, Doctor Edward Mays, uh, CBP, uh, by far the largest component inside the Department of Homeland Security. Lots of moving parts going on over there. Big footprint that you have across the country, quite frankly, across the globe. How are you all doing in regards to your journey to uh, enabling cloud computing for that important mission? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me today. And uh, thank you for acknowledging the mission of CBP, securing our nation's borders, supporting trade, supporting travel. Um, we are doing well. I will tell you that we've got about 91 applications in the cloud and they represent differing levels of complexity. Um, high, medium, low, about 29% high complexity and about, you know, really about 30% or so for the others. Um, our journey has been, has been really, really good. And we've made progress in that, you know, we started slow. Um, we looked at, you know, how do we migrate? We looked at the ATO process and we've followed, you know, cloud first and we've also implemented, you know, cloud smart. So where we are now is looking at how we bring the architectures together, how we do things in a, in a standardized process to include all of our monitoring. And these are mission apps that we're talking about. So, you know, it is really about driving that value proposition, getting speed to market, getting what's needed to our customer base. And we've done a, a, a really good job of that. What we're going to focus on as we move forward is, you know, how do, we, how do we look at the system holistically, not just the applications, but also the acquisition, also the training and education of our personnel, because cloud actually means that we really have to look at what we're doing from the perspective of human-centered design as well. So we're pulling all of that together. Uh, we're also looking at AI um, and how do we figure out problems before they happen? Um, how do we build our networks better? How do we make you know, throughput better? So we are on a great journey. We've done a lot of good work and we've got about another literally um, 200 or so applications that we are going to be migrating to the cloud. We're looking at a, a multi-cloud and hybrid cloud approach and I, I think that at the end of the day, we're going to find that what we're doing is really transformational for the organization and really bring best value to our customer base. I mean, just the ability um, to move from, from CapEx to OpEx is really huge. I mean, right now I'm running both a data center and uh, cloud applications, but at some point, you know, as, as, we as we transfer from the data center to the cloud, 
less, less data center will be required, and I should start to see some real values for our customer, as we're seeing in some examples now. Sure, just really focusing on that mission. I love how the conversation has gone away from, hey, can I, can I get from uh, you know, a, a moderate to a higher? Can I get from a, you know, a, a level five to a, from a level four to a level five to really talking about you know, AI and some of these other things? But I think it's super important. Well, this is a great segue into uh, Snowflake, right? Nicholas, you guys are uh, striped across these agencies seeing a lot of different things. Uh, what's the state of play from where Snowflake's standpoint in regards to the use of this capability to enable these very important missions. Yeah, thanks, Luke, and thanks for having me again. Always great to see you guys on an afternoon. Um, so I, going back to what Frank and, and Travis and, and Dr. Mays have all said, the trend is very, very positive. It used to be a couple years ago, we talked about IT modernization and cloud migrations. It was kind of take your VMware machines that were running in your data center, move them up to the cloud, roll the credits, right? We had done it, it was over. Um, we're seeing a big shift now. Folks are starting to build software as a service applications. People are building dedicated applications for the cloud using cloud architectures and cloud best practices. And more to the point, I'm going to go back to Frank really quickly, building on the ATO process, building on those security trends that have been, um, uh, I'll say annoying to a lot of vendors, have been difficult for a lot of vendors. We're moving into the next version of cloud, I think, for a lot of the Department of Defense, a lot of the federal agencies, where it's getting easier to get ATOs, it's getting easier to build custom applications that really are catered to the mission, and it's getting easier to get your hands on cloud dedicated technologies that make that mission possible. Right, um, I'm smiling because I, I have the, uh, the, uh, the, the noise of uh, ATO in a day rattling around in my head. But I think what, what is really important is, you know, that stuff's just becoming, you know, somewhat table stakes. And we're really talking about, okay, how do we enable uh, that mission uh, using these capabilities that are available to us and doing it very quickly. Adam, how about at ServiceNow? Once again, a great platform, sort of organically built and engineered for the cloud and, and, and providing some fantastic capabilities across the, uh, the, the, the various departments and agencies. What's the state of the state out there? Yeah, thanks for having me, Luke. Yes, yeah, so ServiceNow is a workflow automation platform. I'd sort of like to take a programmatic approach to answering this question. When you think about measuring progress, it's very hard to do that. Um, in any discussion without uh, a series of milestones and achievements. So when I think about DoD and, and measuring progress of cloud computing, I break it into four general phases. I think the phase one was the policy, right? And that, this is four or five years ago. And I think back when I was a support contractor within the Navy, there was a cloud first strategy put forward. I think that eventually got signed in 2017. But that policy in short said, hey, if you're a program office and you have technology requirements, uh, you must look towards cloud technologies first. And if the requirements aren't executable by those uh, technologies, then you can look sort of in-house to the, to the GOTS applications and systems. So that is an absolute necessity and an important step, but you'll also notice there's not a lot of direction in there. So what happens is that you move into phase two, which is sort of the execution or the governance phase. I can't tell you how many customer conversations I had three, four years ago where, uh, where they said, Adam, I need to get towards this cloud first policy, but I have no idea how to get there. Um, and so at that point, you have organizations like, like Travis's, NCCS, PMW270, and other government members probably on this panel saying, we've got to put in place the necessary tools to allow people to leverage cloud computing. I'm thinking specifically of things like having a standardized, centralized contracting model, some governance around who's using what and why, how much are they using, and of course, a good understanding and visibility into the cost. 
Um, then you move into adoption, phase three, right? So just because these technologies are available doesn't mean people are using them. Um, and maybe that's because people don't know that they have access to them, or maybe there's special circumstances, right? Things are a little bit hard on, on Zipper, uh, for example. But I will say four years ago, when I went to work, I rarely used cloud commercial technology. Today, it's hard to imagine a life without it. So it's, it's here. And then we roll into phase four, the final. And this is where I think that really you're seeing the ROI um, in the investments across the DoD. This is where we are today. Um, I think a lot of government agencies that are, um, that are exploring and using cloud technologies have gotten to that point where they're seeing ROI, whether that's in cost savings, uh, schedule efficiencies, things like that. Um, but I think, you know, with regards to how ROI over time uh, occurs, it's generally only improves when you think about cloud technologies. A hundred percent. And and another part of that ROI is time to market, right? Just, just to being able to have that functionality available, uh, um, quite frankly, sometimes at a moment's notice from an operational standpoint, super important for all these agencies to have that. Andrew, how about at Okta? You know, you can't put this thing together and enable this capability without some of the types of technology that, uh, that Okta provides. Well, what are you seeing out there as far as across the, uh, the interagency these days? Yes, uh, thank you, Luke. And uh, we're, especially from a, a progress uh, outlook, we're seeing two, two big things happening, kind of closely related. Uh, one of them is even just a metrics when you're looking at, at FedRAMP and, and those programs, uh, certainly a massive number of uh, additional programs available. So just from a progress perspective, that's thoroughly enabling much more agencies to take those services on uh, much more quickly. Right. And then the other observation we've seen at a <clears throat> at an agency and, and um, activity level is really kind of a changing of the types of programs. And this is a really exciting space in that it used to be we, you, we would see Docta um, identity projects that would start out at really as a pilot. Uh, we knew there might be some more activity later on, but no one really knew. But now there's much more uh, mission focused um, uh, applications and, and core mission programs that are uh, going to the cloud now. So it, it's a really exciting time to see that transition from uh, just kind of stepping into the water a little bit to uh, doing a, a full mile swim across the ocean. So Right. Uh, now I'm, I'm sort of fully realized as far as my, my wiring, so to speak, you know, I've got all my, uh, my, my plumbing in place and I'm able to, to now just uh, do a low code, no code or an organic build in that environment. Know it's going to be secure. Know the the uh, the availability of the ID management, et cetera, all those table stakes, if you will, hardened and brought together, super important. Travis, we like to talk about um, a specific program. Can you give us an example of a specific program that you all are implementing, have implemented, or in the planning stages of implementing in regards to uh, cloud capability, sort of cloud native, if you will, and enabling that uh, uh, your mission there? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the highlights over this past year was our, our fleet and weather uh, centers. We were able to uh, accelerate our high, or high, high performance cloud computing to support their weather modeling for real time mission data as it relates to the hurricanes and, and during the hurricane season. Uh, some of the, the benefits that we saw to that were, were one, the, the near real time ability to help make those decisions of impacts to those folks in that, in that area, but also uh, as it relates to, to a lot of the conversation today was ROI. 
what we saw was millions of dollars annually, what it took to run these models on-prem is now something that becomes scalable and that you could start to, to surge that requirement to get a more impactful data that's costing thousands of dollars a month versus millions of dollars annually. Uh, that was one of the, the, the greatest things that we saw. And, and uh, you know, it, it's something that we, we hope to springboard on as we're starting to do more models for uh, you know, machine learning and, and AI as it starts to look at the networks and how we support the networks in the future. But this was the, the springboard for that effort. Right, uh, fantastic use case, and 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 it, and it goes both ways, right? All of a sudden, I can I can scale way up and and grab a whole bunch of computing and make it instantly available, and then I can shut it back down when I'm not using it, right? Which is uh, you know just some of the beauty of this type of technology. Adam, how about its service now? Give us an example of of one uh, area that uh, you all have been able to implement a capability that's really sort of you know knocked it dead in regards to ringing the bell for the agency. Yeah, sure. You know, we're uh, we're coming off a day of, uh, of of honor for our veterans, so I just want to say a quick thank you to all servicemen and women out there. Um, and to that end, I'd like to speak to a specific use case with how we're leveraging service now to help the lives of the servicemen and women and their families. So almost let's let's decouple IT for a minute and just talk about um, actual impact to those people. Um, you know, we feel that's pretty special. I'm going to talk about a use case within the Army's government managed housing. So. Um, our soldiers, right, and their families are deployed all over the world, right, and they live in houses um, that are generally managed by um, people other than themselves. They're, they're managed by uh, third parties, but also the government. And what we saw was a trend in um, an experience, the delays of addressing house maintenance issues, just like any other homeowner would, right? You've got leaky roofs, you've got electrical issues, you got to deal with home repairs. And so uh, they didn't have the control because, because it's, it's government owned. So uh, a lot of these things were happening over a very long period of time. Um, and this sort of, uh, you know, this reached Congress. Uh, it, it turned into a couple investigative reports. Um, and, you know, you think about it, they started doing assessments on whether, you know, is this what we want our soldiers to be thinking about when they're getting trained or when they're deployed? Things back home, they don't wanna be thinking about that. And so um, ServiceNow came in with a, with a, great, um, a great story, a great solution. Uh, the first phase is, is being able to allow the soldiers and their families to enter housing related cases within uh, our customer service management to, to check status from all over the, the world, right? This gives great transparency and visibility within the Army to make sure that these people are taken care of. Um, subsequent phases are gonna include uh, field service management. So making sure that proper supplies and inventory uh, is there for resolving these these calls. I also love uh, the fact that you know uh, we're tackling CAC authentication needs for people that need it, um, as well as uh, providing a more public portal facing uh, for family members for uh, you know without CACs, right? Because uh, you know not everybody has a CAC and not everybody has a need for a CAC, but everyone has the ability to log a case, right? And uh, and that portal is being delivered through our mobile app. So we love impacting families outside of the IT world. So we love that use case. Fantastic use case and a great example of using this capability and making it uh, available sort of worldwide, if you will, which is fantastic. Glad to hear that. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News.
Elasticity, cost savings, security. Welcome to the benefits and challenges of today's cloud. Global governments and federal agencies are using it and benefiting from it. So can the Department of Defense. The DoD can achieve its vision of adopting cloud-based solutions and digitally transform itself by working with vendors that have a cloud-first mindset. ServiceNow is here to help. ServiceNow's FedRAMP High IL-4 cloud solutions connect teams, workflows, and systems across the globe. It was designed with people in mind. ServiceNow. We make work work for people. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Okta, helping protect your agency's remote workforce and ensuring government employees, contractors, and partners have simple and secure access to mission-critical applications from any device at any time. Okta allows you to create granular access policies based on user, device, network, and location context, as well as implement strong multi-factor authentication across all apps and VPNs. Learn more at okta.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cloud computing at DOD and Department of Homeland Security. And we were just talking about specific programs. I'm gonna throw it over to you, Frank, and ask you to give us an example of a specific program. We talked at the top about uh, Kessel Run and mentioned that. I thought maybe you'd give a, just a, a few moments on what Kessel Run is for those that might not know what that fantastic program is. Sure. Kessel Run was our first foyer into SecDevOps. And the reason why it was first, because uh, we had an issue with uh, modernizing the Air Operations Center. And so we said, what could we effectively, quickly do, as opposed to you know, funding billions of dollars in a long time to actually get things done? So we said, let's, let's try something modern. What was an industry for a long time, especially where I came from, you know, it was normal to do uh, agile programming and everything else. So said, let's try this. And so we got together with a, a, a group of airmen that were not really programmers per se, they had programming experience and they seemed to have the aptitude for doing it. And we actually uh, did a module. The module was uh, aircraft refueling scheduling. They used to do this basically on a whiteboard and used to take them 12 to 14 hours to actually do this every day, as opposed to doing it automated. So we said, let's try to do this. This is a, a win-win situation. If it doesn't work, well, they can still go back to the whiteboard, but otherwise, you know, this is an automation capability. And it works so successfully, and we did it within like three to six months, which was unheard of before, especially when people who did not have any experience in doing this delivered it, and it was a success. And we've actually built upon that to actually save, save sufficiently uh, enough money for fuel costs. In fact, we actually have billions of dollars, millions of dollars, not billions, millions of dollars in fuel cost savings now because of the way they've actually modernized that application. So that's, that's one of the major things that we started off with, with uh, DevSecOps. And now I said, you know, we have 15 uh, software centers right now doing this. Now, application-wise, yes, <laughs> yes, Luke. Incredible to hear this. I mean, so that made, our major programs are actually using DevSecOps now. And I do mean our major billion-dollar programs are doing this now, just to let you know, because it's been so effective that we, we can see that we get uh, capabilities out that we can actually look at rather quickly. And you're going to see that's going to be the model, I think, that, you know, we, well, it's the model the Air Force going for, without a doubt. 
I, I love it and taking that uh, sort of organic and I love the idea that you, you started with something simple, uh, obviously huge impact. And now, as I, as I understand, you, it, you have airmen and airwomen out there, you know, coding DevSecOps in this environment and, and creating some great capabilities for the, uh, 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 the, uh, yeah, the, the folks in the Air Force, which is fantastic. We actually established Digital University, which is also a cloud-based effort to actually train these people, to train people who may have an aptitude that don't know they have an aptitude. And if they pass certain courses, they can actually look at what they can actually maybe become a member of the Kessel Run organization and actually do this programming. So we're trying wow. to look, you know, pull up talent management from the bottom and say, okay, if you have an aptitude, maybe you should be in this you know, endeavor. Fantastic. Came in thinking they were going to fly an aircraft and they end up being a super coder. That's unbelievable. Right. Andrew, how about at Okta? Give us an example. You're sort of, again, striped across the interagency. You're seeing a lot of different activities. Give us an example where you all have been involved in a program that really has, uh, you know, enabled the mission uh, in, a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a modern manner, if you will. Yeah. So, so great question there. And, um, you know, noting, uh, you know, Great time. We kind of um, recently passed uh, Veterans Day. Uh, it actually happened. Uh, the announcement came. Uh, announcement came out last year, so it's actually public uh, press uh, on on the Apple website and other places. There's a great use case with uh, the Veterans uh, uh, Veteran uh, VA where uh, they actually made records available uh, directly to people's phones. So if people don't know about know about this, kind of a great thing to know is that. You can actually go on your phone. Uh, you can go to the health app. You can just type in Veterans, uh, Veterans uh, Administration or Affairs. And then uh, as you do the search, uh, it'll actually pull up a, a, a source provider. Now, obviously, you don't want to uh, provide that data uh, unsecured. Uh, but one of the things that is, uh, this is kind of one example that is being replicated across other uh, use cases, even for some active duty members for uh, training purposes. But the, the concept the same is essentially get the power of, of this data uh, in individuals' hands on their mobile devices and then secure that data by securing APIs. And, and really you secure those APIs by securing their, their identity on that device. So it becomes very powerful and uh, something we've seen been, been able to replicate in some other uh, agencies and services. Very powerful and very functional. And uh, I would imagine that's something that can be used globally which is fantastic, right? I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Very pleased to see how we're, uh, we're supporting those veterans. Uh, Ed Mays, how about over at CBP? Can you give us a specific example? You, you top-lined a whole bunch of activity you all have going on over there. Give us one example of where you all have implemented uh, this capability and really uh, you know, turned on the mission in regards to uh, functionality. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, um, the automated commercial environment, or ACE, um, produces and supports um, cargo processing for the U.S. and processes about $11.1 billion in trade to the tune of about $2.4 trillion a year. So ACE is very important to the U.S. in terms of our economy. Um, after adopting, you know, the CICD pipeline, SecDevOps, we were able to make quick changes in ACE. And as you notice, there's, lots, there's been a lot of policy changes on tariffs. So this has really helped us to move in a dynamic manner and move quickly. And in support of that, we've also uh, moved the, our mainframe out of the data center and we moved to mainframe as a service in the cloud. 
And what that allowed us to do was to save about $10 million a year that we were able to reinvest into our overall cloud program. So that's one example. Another more you know, recent example is if you look at uh, COVID-19, um, using low-code, no-code kind of apps to help us with contact tracing um, and help us to track you know, building sanitization and such. So uh, the cloud has been very, very beneficial to us and allowed us to bring value to our customers very, very quickly. Interesting use case with the mainframe as a service, and that's great where you're going to ring that cost out and then, uh, you know, repurpose that, replow that into some of these, uh, some of these other capabilities. Nick, I would imagine that you have bushels full of use cases there at Snowflake. Give us one good one uh, where you all have been able to, an agency, work, partner with an agency and, and, and really enable that, uh, that, that capability at the agency. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I mean, first of all, I want to lead off with, uh, yeah, I was 10 years active duty in the Air Force. And at one point, I Thank wrote- you for a, your service. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was great. I had a great time. Uh, I spent 10 years there trying to get uh, code approved to translate MGRS grid systems into lat long in the uh, Air Force Intel community. And that app never got an ATO and it was five lines of code. So Frank, I applaud what the Air Force is doing today with some <laughs> of your efforts. Um, you know, a lot of what comes down in, in, in the cloud for, for Snowflake's perspective is our big move to what we call data cloud. Um, I, I've got a lot of examples, but I want to kind of touch very high level on the data sharing and collaboration side. We just talked about where things are going in cloud. I think the next big step, as well as specific programs and areas where these are, are very, very useful, to go back to, to Mr. May's point with the ACE program. The ACE program collaborates with a lot of other government agencies. And being able to share and collaborate in real time with each other's data is sort of the next step in the single source of truth. We always talk about single source of truth, but I think for a lot of us, our single source of truth is our truth based on our data and not necessarily the data from the subject matter experts who know that best. So when I think about a specific program or difference that we could really bring to bear with cloud technology, it's around the collaboration of data and getting that single source of truth, the truth, not just my truth. Interesting, uh, and you, you raise a very good point about uh, sort of that cross collaboration and no question that uh, uh, I can't imagine that the, the interconnectivity of, of ACE with all these other agencies and the trading public at large, right? I think I heard trillion with a T there that Edward said. Uh, that's uh, extremely impressive. Uh, Frank, we like to talk about priorities and uh, would love to hear your top two priorities for this uh, coming year? What are you focused on in regards to, uh, uh, you know, enabling capabilities in the uh, this cloud environment? Gee, gee, just two? Okay. Well, yeah, I know we could go. <laughs> I, I try to keep it to two because I know there's a lot of them. Uh, first of all, I think zero trust. We're trying to do zero trust yeah. capabilities. And then a lot of the reasons why is because since we're all working at home and various devices right now, the idea is how can I connect securely to the applications that are existing in the clouds right now. So I think zero trust is, is at the paramount of how we actually want to progress, especially for the new normal, if we're going to have multiple people working at home for long periods of time, we need to figure out the best way and secure way to get into the apps. But the second one I think is, is probably we're trying to do as an enterprise ICAM system right now too. Mm. And I think that's going to be necessary because we've gone down the path and zero trust depends upon ICAM anyways. And so, as we look forward to how we're going to do this, we're trying to figure out exactly what do we mean, especially since for an enterprise solution, we're going to have to support not only the centralized capability, but we also have all the bases out there that have 
capabilities that are going to be deal environments if necessary when the uh, the network gets interrupted. And so we're looking at how can we actually do this for an enterprise and collaborate everything together so we don't have that, you know, multiple ICAMs existing everywhere besides different governance models. So I think those are the two priorities we're going to go forward with. They're all cloud-based, of course, and necessary to actually do things effectively. Yeah, and do things efficiently in that environment gets, uh, you know, a hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environment gets really uh, complex all of a sudden. Very powerful, but very complex. And you certainly need a, uh, an architecture, uh, zero trust architecture, if you will, to enable that thoughtfully. And of course, uh, identity management becomes a key cornerstone of that. Speaking of which, Andrew, uh, let's talk about uh, priorities. You know, sort of what are you getting from the federal agencies, maybe from the uh, public sector, in regards to the priorities that uh, they're focusing on? Top two. Uh, yes, thank you. So um, the the top two that that definitely came to mind. Uh, one of them, uh, reflecting a, a, a Frank's note, there was was zero trust. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of what we're also doing is, is seeing some maturation in that space. Uh, NIST is getting out some great guidance out there and, uh, we're seeing a lot of opportunities to align, uh, identity to, to that guidance and really make it easier and faster, uh, for government agencies that deploy zero trust, which is certainly really important to uh, not just have the technology, but to get out there quickly. Uh, the, the second one which is somewhat closely aligned, but still very important we're seeing is uh, the importance of, of API protection uh, as we move uh, to mobile environments, as we move to even IoT and some more uh, advanced uh, data, act, uh, data warehousing and, and data analytics services, uh, being able to protect those APIs, uh, the, that, that data plumbing is gonna be more and more crucial. So we're seeing a lot of um, activity in that space. And it does kind of come back down to zero trust, even for that data. And, and APIs uh, in order to make sure it's the right person accessing the right resource and the right uh, uh, security controls and context, so. No doubt about it. And you know, uh, those APIs become very important. Uh, no doubt uh, uh, in Ed's example that I was giving earlier, right? That, that, that's machine to machine, uh, but you have to authenticate that and uh, it's gotta be done real time. Ed, how about, uh, how about you as far as priorities there at CBP? Top two, you've got a lot of stuff going on there, it sounds like. What are your top two that you want to focus on um, uh, over the course of the next year? Well, I'll try, our top two are, again, uh, identity and access management, as you just mentioned, looking at zero trust. But the other thing that we're looking at that's really critical is, I call it auto-provisioning. And that's auto-provisioning at the org account level, if you're looking at an Amazon, it's looking at the auto provisioning at the user and system account level. Um, and it's also tying all that together. I mean, we started, you know, our, our cloud work in a sort of entrepreneurial fashion. So, you know, we had a little bit of, uh, I'll call it, call it disjointed incrementalism. Now we're pulling all that together. So it'll be a streamlined, seamless process. That's one of our biggest goals this year along with including in that um, the cloud tagging piece to ensure that we can track our costs properly. Um, that's been a challenge and we plan to, to try and solve that um, as a top priority. Um, interesting, uh, and I, I love that term, digital incrementalism. I, I think I'm gonna call Webster on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, really uh, important to focus on these various activities so you can turn that on 
uh, very quickly and, and do it in an automated way, right? You're never going to get to ATO to, in a day or whatever it is you're trying to do there unless you can do that in an automated fashion. Super important to be able to enable that capability. Adam at ServiceNow, what are your customers telling you that they need as far as priorities for this year? Yeah, I'm with Frank. I had about four or five uh, that I could tee up, but I'll just of focus course, on the two. Of course. <laughs> um, no, I'll start with you know um, automation and, and what a lot of Navy leadership is is deeming they call it relentless automation. So look, uh, you know, processes continue to be complex, especially in the DoD. There's a whole lot of approvals and checks and things like that that need to happen um, from an acquisition and programmatic perspective um, to the point where they can't be executed without some level of automation. Um, you know, I, I'm looking to continue conversations with those complex workflows. Uh, the, the net of all this, of course, is people want to come into work and, and work on the things that they are, that, that inspire them, right? That, that make them innovate. They don't want to have to deal with the stuff that we, we have to do, right? There's things we want to do at work. There's things that we have to do at work. Um, and, and in many cases, we're finding out that there, uh, there are ways that in, in which our platform can sort of automate the things that have to happen and allow the workers to do uh, the things that, again, that inspire them. Um, I, I think the second focus uh, is, is integrations. Um, and so I'll use a specific uh, case in point. So we have, a, within the Navy, there's a, a, an effort going on uh, called uh, MPT&E, Manpower Personnel Training and Education. Um, this is a, a collective, uh, an ecosystem of applications. There's 55 of them, um, and they sometimes overlap in their purpose. Um, and some of them are written in COBOL and Fortran. They're 30 years old and they can't be supported anymore. So this is a good story in the sense of they're trying to get from 55 down to a few sort of platform technologies to do all the things that those 55 did. The problem when you're doing this, though, is if you, if you, uh, if, if you end up with your three technologies and those technologies can't talk to each other, what was the point of all that? And so, um, you know, when technology companies can band together to complement each other, everybody wins, um, especially the end user. And so that's one of the things that I would really like to focus on this year. Fantastic and uh, very important. Again, automating, uh, really important to be able to do that, right? And uh, uh, so that you can just uh, take that off the table and then focus on the mission at hand, if you will. Travis, how about at the Navy in regards to top two priorities that you have to focus on this year? So, so first of all, I'd like to say is I, I'm doing everything everybody else is doing. So I'm not going to re repeat that and sure, say that identity course. is a huge effort for us. Uh, uh, one of the big things that, that is coming up for us is we did an organizational realignment that uh, we're standing up the Navy's first service managed organization. So back in May, uh, we disbanded what was PEO EIS, Enterprise Information Services, and, mm -hmm. and turned it into PEO Digital Enterprise Services. So you mentioned earlier about services at the end of my name. What we're really doing is putting a focus on transitioning our organization into a service managed organization and providing those services. So this just isn't for Navy or a rebranding of PMW 205. This is really shifting the way that we offer services today for Department of Navy because second part of that is a unification effort with uh, the Marine Corps and the Systems Command and an integration into the PEO digital family and how we can provide those services at a department level versus focusing on a Navy and Marine Corps to start creating some of those efficiencies. The second piece that is a priority for us is uh, expanding our relationship at, uh, through our digital marketplace services. So one of the big uh, 
service deliveries for that will be the infrastructure as code. Uh, Frank had mentioned it and uh, Ed had talked about it. Uh, what we've really worked with, a strong partnership with uh, Adam Prem, who's online here, is, is uh, infrastructure code in six minutes, or six clicks, excuse me. So what we've done is worked over the past year to get us to a place where we're using infrastructure code and being able to deliver that to the mission owner in under six clicks. And this means a, a guardrailed, uh, templated environment that mission owners can get out and start their cloud journey. And that's one of the things that we really realize is we have to get mission owners out and comfortable in how they can do it because we can't expect a single organization to do all of the cloud work. We need to really leverage the communities of interest. So we have to lower the barrier of entry for them getting there. And infrastructure as code is a key enabler of that. Incredible that, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost at the mission operator level, you know, that can, uh, that can uh, provision a capability that quickly with uh, six simple cl clicks. I love it. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Snowflake is the FedRAMP approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Elasticity, cost savings, security. Welcome to the benefits and challenges of today's cloud. Global governments and federal agencies are using it and benefiting from it. So can the Department of Defense. The DOD can achieve its vision of adopting cloud-based solutions and digitally transform itself by working with vendors that have a cloud-first mindset. ServiceNow is here to help. ServiceNow's FedRAMP High IL-4 cloud solutions connect teams, workflows, and systems across the globe. It was designed with people in mind. ServiceNow. We make work work for people. Okta, helping protect your agency's remote workforce and ensuring government employees, contractors, and partners have simple and secure access to mission-critical applications from any device at any time. Okta allows you to create granular access policies based on user, device, network, and location context, as well as implement strong multi-factor authentication across all apps and VPNs. Learn more at okta.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cloud computing at the Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security. We were just talking about priorities and a lot of them out there and we wanted to focus on just a couple. Uh, Nicholas, can you give us a couple of examples, a couple of priorities that your customer base is giving to you uh, that they want you to focus uh, your attention on to deliver these capabilities? Uh, you know, we, we're building a lot of applications on Snowflake, and a lot of our customers have asked us to help them build applications on Snowflake. We've got a really great uh, partner in Active Cyber that has built an identity and access management system that uses Okta as a front end to detect logins, multi-factor authentications, those kinds of things, uh, and then take all of those logs and put that into Snowflake for an artificial intelligence machine learning workload to notify them of certain different patterns in logins that might be extraneous or, or to support the no trust, uh, zero trust environments. And then that then triggers actions in ServiceNow to create tickets to lock out an account uh, or to change or force a multi-factor authentication event. So the first thing we're really trying to do is build some solid applications on top of Snowflake. We're one of the few technologies that can really scale to keep up 
with technologies like Okta and like ServiceNow, who really have had a head start in the industry, just building out that massive cloud computing infrastructure. The second thing that I really want to focus on and that a lot of our customers are doing is bringing all of the, the data engineering and data science into the same place. One of the advantages that we have is being able to do a lot of those things uh, and build out extremely complicated data pipelines using just ANSI SQL, a simple programming language that anybody can learn in a couple of afternoons. And a lot of DBAs already know this stuff. And data scientists spend over 80% of their time, and I know most statistics are made up on the spot, but over 80% of their time refining data and getting it ready for data science and machine learning workflows. Uh, Snowflake aims to take that down quite a large step by building that refined pipeline into the product using SQL and streams and tasks very efficiently and effectively. But once again, uh, we want to take these, uh, these barriers off the table so a data science uh, scientist can do data science work. Um, uh, love this next question we're going to bring up, and that is lessons learned. Frank, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. Uh, you all have been at this journey. You, you were an early adopter. And what would be a lesson learned out there? Give us one uh, that you would want to you know, share with the audience uh, in regards to just stuff to think about as they, they go on this journey. You know, the application owners have to be involved. I think that's one of the processes. I mean, before we used to give it to vendors and vendors would just do it and they deliver something and we'd say, hey, that's not right. So I think that we learned that the application owners have to be involved as well as the security people at the same time. I think that's, that's essential for getting an application out, especially if you're doing DevSecOps. So yeah, you have to do that. And of course, you have to look at how the application owner can actually fund this and sustain it. That's the other thing, because as we develop, you know, no low codes and everything else, as well as RPA work, the issue becomes, okay, I got it, but how am I going to sustain it? So you got to look at it from the viewpoint of how you build it and then how you sustain it. And I think those are the two main areas by, besides involving everybody involved in the process. Absolutely. Security's got to be there day one. Customer must be involved day one. Travis, how about at Navy? Uh, sort of top lesson learned that you'd like to share. Uh, I think the big thing for us was uh, don't try and solve it all. I think we there's a there's a connotation about folks doing things in a centralized fashion that creates this idea that we're trying to solve it all. I think the big thing that we've done and, and learned over the past couple of years is to embrace the, the centers of excellence and the communities of interest that have led the way in certain things. So it's not just a, a centralized effort, but really exposing and giving the opportunity for folks that have been doing things like AI and ML and, and uh, the air community for a while, or in the NAVC uh, doing a, a machine learning on, on their logistics and how they do shipboard maintenance. It's really about not or, or creating that culture that you could start to, to bring for, uh, forward folks that have uh, done this in the past and turning that into an enterprise service or enterprise delivery that people can benefit from the excellence uh, of their work. I would say also the, the second part is, is we've touched on it a lot uh, lightly, but it's not just a technology. We need the entire community. So we need the acquisition community. We need the legal community. We need everybody to come up for how IT is being delivered today. And it's really in that workforce development, we can't solely focus on the engineers and developers. We have to think about the fact of the program managers who are budgeting, how legal is looking at contracts and how we deal with folks. So it, it really is a cultural alignment across the entire company spectrum vice just focusing on a technology aspect and delivery. The system really does need to come together. Uh, Ed, top lesson learned, your observation as you're on this journey. Well, I think the key thing for all of us is that, um, you know, we need to take an agile approach to everything, um, be a, a holistic, holistic manner. Um, when we look at things like uh, was mentioned earlier, looking at take hybrid cloud or governance or security, 
um, to include the procurement, the training, reskilling, upskilling. I mean, you really have to know where you want to go, what you want to be, you know, to build, you know, that road there, that roadmap. Um, if you don't do that, you can wind up anywhere. You got to know where you want to end up. And I think that allows you to build it out be in an agile fashion and really deliver value to your customer. Yeah, I mean, this capability gives you a lot of options. That's the good news. And the, uh, the challenge is it gives you a lot of options and you got to get laser focused. Laser focused, really have a North Star. All right, we're going to wrap it up with this last question. And, uh, and this one's about sort of painting a picture of the future, if you will. So we'd like each of you to take just a, a minute or two and tell us, you know, what's it look like in a couple of years? So we'll start with you, Andrew, at Okta. You know, what, what's it look like? What are you guys cooking up there? What are your customers telling you that you, they, they need you to do? And what, what do you envision over the course of the next couple of years? Sure. Uh, thank you, uh, Luke. And I, I think the, the biggest vision here is, and I, I do believe it's consistent with uh, both cross value to commercial enterprises, but definitely within in, um, federal customers is the uh, fundamentally the seamless user experience, right? And it, it certainly in, in the commercial space, it's a little bit different because it's, it's they have different missions, but um, it, it really comes down to speed, right? And, and there's two elements to that one as you have the seamless user experience, to get to applications quickly. Um, that certainly achieves the mission, but as you can do that and you have the tools and there's great stories and, and pieces of information about how people are able to use these tools, but as you're able to use the tools for identity access and other things to uh, speed that user experience and get people into and out of applications to accelerate the, uh, the, um, the authentication authorization process, that really will uh, both get, get users on board, uh, increase the adoption to the cloud, uh, as well as keep them secure in the cloud. Speed to market, very important. Adam, how about its service now? What does it look like in a couple of years? You guys have done infrastructure capabilities, HR capabilities. What's next for service now? I love this question because uh, if it's one thing my mom taught me is when you're predicting the future of IT, just watch a couple episodes of Star Trek and you'll find your answer. There you um, go. You know, <laughs> we've got the communicators, we've got stun guns, we've got everything needed. We're just waiting for holodecks and warp drives, I think at this point. Um, no, but, but seriously, I'm doubling down on AI and ML. Um, people need to remember that with those applications or, or with that capability, you can't just drop in AI and ML and expect to see any gains. Uh, AI and ML only work because you have massive amounts of data uh, that allow machines to find patterns in that data and create models around that data. So that's started. So, you know, uh, I think something, something in the realm of like 2 trillion gigabytes of data is created every day in 2020. I've heard, uh, you know, 40 Zeta bytes will be created. That's, I had to research that. That's 40 with 20 zeros after it. Mm. And so the access to data is, continues to grow. And, and, and as we continue to have and harness that data, uh, you're going to start seeing a lot of benefits with AI and ML. And how will that be manifested? Well, it's going to be within, you know, for the DOD, it's going to be smart bases. We're doing a lot of, uh, you know, DOD and, Marine, and the, the, the Navy and the Marine Corps are really focusing on uh, 5G automation, inventory warehousing, sort of getting to where Amazon and Walmart have been for years. Um, you're going to see things like, uh, you know, supervised, autonomous, everything. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think the explosion of new applications, we started off, you know, talking a little bit about, I really think we've only scratched the surface on the use cases that cloud computing technologies are bringing. I think as we continue to uncover those use cases and, and getting into serverless architecture, allowing developers uh, the ability to, to build things quickly and efficiently, you're going to see an explosion of, of new apps. 
lot of new capability. Looking forward to it. Nicholas, how about it? Snowflake, uh, I, I can't imagine the things that you all are cooking up there in regards to, you know, the extraction of, of information and being able to make sound decisions. What's it going to look like? Yeah, well, you know, I, I start with, uh, <clears throat> I made a joke earlier and I started this off by saying that we move our machines and the credits roll. You know, the credits aren't ever going to roll. Don't get discouraged, They're, but things are going to keep moving forward. I, you know, AI and ML, those large data sets that, uh, that Adam was talking about, Snowflake's going to keep supporting the, the architectures and applications that are doing that. For us, it's going to be a lot about pushing the data cloud loop. We really want to get folks collaborating on those data sets. We saw a tremendous amount of success with COVID-19 across the nation, working with state and federal governments on the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to keep pushing the data cloud messaging, the data collaboration messaging, and we just hope we get people to listen. Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to that. Ed, um, you all are on a journey there. What, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to have a lot of that stuff sort of completed. You're going to be building organic capability into the cloud. What's it look like in a couple of years to, uh, you know, a customs and border officer? Uh, what can they expect to see? I think they can expect to see um, a very streamlined, um, simple user experience um, that provides the capabilities that they need at the click you know, of a, of a mouse. Um, that's where we really want to be delivering that value to the front line um, and making it easy as possible. So for me, the mantra is automate, 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 and simplify, right? Building in all the governance that's required, the security, the provisioning, uh, building in on the back end for us, things like ITSM, you know, I, we've talked about ServiceNow quite a bit. Um, we talked about Okta kind of a bit uh, with respect to um, access management and such. Uh, but also on the business piece as well, right? Whether it's, you know, technology business management or ITBM, having all those analytic tools on the back end so that not only do we deliver that, that capability and service, but also that we do it, you know, economically and efficiently and, you know, drive ROI. So for me, it's automate, 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 simplify, and deliver value to our customer on the front line. And, uh, and I love the idea of giving them that, uh, that uh, powerful mobile capability right in their, their, their uh, their hand there, so to speak, so that they can uh, you know perform those functions anywhere and everywhere, right? I mean, you guys are very much a, a mobile workforce. Absolutely, Travis. sure we are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Travis, how about at uh, the Navy? It sounds like you all are are are, are full steam ahead, uh, going at about Mach two, a uh, hundred feet off the deck. There, what does it look like in two or three years? Uh, um, in regards to your commercial cloud service capability to uh, to your service? Uh, I, I think it's it's bigger than just commercial cloud for us. I think it's an integrated environment that, that supports a, a, a mobile uh, and mobility aspect of it on a cloud-enabled network. I think there's a modernization element that, that goes along with it, and this is what we've, we've been focusing on, and it's going to be a journey over it to support integration from the embarkables on Navy ships and getting those forward deployed. Uh, but it also, it starts with the cloud enabled network. So we have to have a network and transport that supports uh, these workloads being in, in, in multiple areas and supporting their transport, the data and how they achieve that. Um, and, that and that's gonna be a journey. So I think the big thing for us is getting to that cloud enabled network and supporting that mobility and understanding that we do embark and, and uh, do deploy to forward regions that, that are gonna require some uh, cloud technologies and support for that uh, orchestrated environment. I would imagine that this cloud technology lends itself very well to that kind of environment. Uh, uh, you know, assuming that you can sort of get to that environment, right, if you will, and I would imagine with 5G and some of these other things, that sort of, uh, that, that super highway 
is going to be available to allow you all to then uh, uh, exploit this capability uh, on the ships, et cetera, wherever they are across the world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think it, it, it extends into understanding how we do that resiliency in forward deployed locations as well. So we need that relationship uh, with the industry partners on how we can exploit that and support our resiliency and continuity of operations. Um, and there's, there's tremendous work being done across all the commercial providers for networking as a service. And I kind of see that as a big piece and transport as a service as a big piece coming down the pipe to support that. Resiliency, big deal. Frank, um, how about at US Air Force? Uh, you all have been uh, in full motion um, over the course of several years here. What's it gonna look like in a couple of years from, uh, from uh, sort of your perch, if you will, uh, looking out at uh, that capability. We're seeing that it's going to be probably a hyperextension of the commercial clause and the central centers into our bases mm -hmm. in such a way that it's ubiquitous to us if it's in the commercial cloud or it's on the base because as we start doing the 5G experiments at the depots, we know we have to have uh, micro data centers at those depots. And so it has to be an extension of some of the mi major ones that are out there because we cannot send all the information for example, from the F-35, the download of that information is too large to send across the optical network, it'll bail, jam the network. So we have to load it and process it on the base itself. And so as you look forward to, you know, capabilities for the IoT centers and everything else, we're finding that the base level, we have to have extensions of the commercial clouds or any of the major cloud efforts, and it has to be ubiquitous to us. So we don't even know that it's connecting necessarily back and forth, but it has to have that relationships. You know, Nick described some of that too how you do the connectivity and everything else. And it's gonna be that way eventually when we get to it. Biggest challenge for you as you're embarking on that? <laughs> how to pay for it. <laughs> sure, budget always a, a big deal. Um, and security, that's the other two. That's Travis, always two. Your, your biggest challenge? Uh, resource availability. Uh, where, where IT lands in the, in the, the war fighting domain is always a, a struggle to get those resources to be available uh, to support modernization efforts. Right, and as these things start to align more to mission enablement, that gets you know, typically a little bit easier. Well, hopefully it will. Ed, top challenge for you. Well, as everyone said, you know, uh, budget is the number one challenge, but I'd also like to talk a little bit about procurement, right? Our procurement systems are, you know, pretty much based on, you know, weapon system development, weapon system mm -hmm. procurement, those sort of things that we've done in the past as part of our acquisition. But the cloud brings new challenges, right? We're looking at utility consumption-based models. How do you deal with that? You know, and I, I do know that as we're moving forward, we're working closely with, with DHS quarters and CBP headquarters in terms of procurement and looking at how do we deliver um, a sort of procurement platform that will provide the services that we need. Right now, we're looking at something called um, enterprise cloud um, and in, uh, integration services uh, that should be able to help us with that. Um, we're also standing up an organization called ECS Enterprise Cloud Services that would be would act as a services delivery organization, it's very similar to what I heard about uh, DEO. I'm sorry, PEO Digital um, Enterprise Services as well. So uh, I think that's the biggest challenge for me. How do I deliver those services? Um, and you know, what's my procurement delivery system look like? And how do I, how do I get that integration together? I think that's a challenge. We started off very entrepreneurial. Now we really have to you know change our, our worldview and move to this modern world and how does that operate and how do we get all these things to operate together? Yeah, really organize yourself so that you can modernize in a modern way. But listen, I wanna uh, thank all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us for this program. I wanna thank all of you, by the way, for your service. Uh, I'd like to thank all of the sponsors for supporting us on this show. 
And I'd also like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And of course, most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience who tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.